Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatik. Hey, this is Adam from the CRE Podcast. The episode you're about to listen to was recorded a while ago. So it's a little bit dated. It's one of the conferences in 2023. It was released in video format at the time for anybody that wanted to watch Aaron and I speak in person. But this, of course, will be the, you know, the podcast platform. So we are going to release all the content now. It is good stuff. Some of the references might not jibe contextually with the current market. Keep that in mind when you're listening to it. And I guess the other big takeaway message is for 2024, we've invested into a podcast producer and you're going to see episodes that are released very shortly after recording and you'll probably see a little more social media going on. So look forward to it. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast powered by First National. I am Adam Pawatik sitting here with Aaron Cameron live at the Toronto Real Estate Forum 2023. It seems like just a minute ago, we were we were in this very hall doing this exact same thing. Amazing that the years come and gone. It's been an exciting one. This is also part of our Real Estate Forum speaker video series sponsored by Dow Vukovic, ML Emporio Properties Limited, and Turner Townsend. Our guest, a first-time guest, is uh, Michael Broccolini, president and CIO of Broccolini. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. You know, I was actually just thinking it's less frequent we get new guests. We've been doing this for a long time now. We often now get to get a repeat. So it's kind of nice to go down the road of, you know, an origin story. What we typically do is go down and we, we ask the questions about how you ended up where you are today. So let's go down your story, Michael. I'm assuming you're related to the founders of Broccoli and given the same last name, not a big leap, but let's just talk about your involvement in real estate and how you ended up where you are today. So Broccolini is going to be uh, celebrating 75 years next year in business. So my grandfather started the business in Montreal in 1949 as a home builder. So he did that for many years. And my dad and uncles uh, entered the business in the early 80s. They got out of home building and they focused on general contracting in Montreal, predominantly in the commercial industrial sectors. And then in the late 90s, the family started dabbling in real estate. I think they were building a lot for developers at the time. And in construction, it's historically been a high risk, low margin business. And uh, they were building for developers. And I think as they were building for developers, they started to understand maybe there was a better opportunity to make a little bit more money developing. Yeah, wait a minute. These guys keep walking away. I build this thing and they walk away with the returns, right? Correct. So they came up with that conclusion. So in the 90s, they started taking their construction profits that they were generating on a yearly basis and they would buy land predominantly in the West Island of Montreal to do industrial development, uh, suburban office. And uh, that's how the real estate side of the business started. And then if you look at our growth today, a lot of our growth today is because of the funds that we've been able to raise. And prior to 2007, it was always every time the family had an opportunity, the family would put together the money that we had and go to our friends and family and raise the additional capital that we would need. And then in 2007, we created our first fund. It was a smaller fund. It's only about 72 million. The family was the largest investor in that fund. But the purpose of the fund was to be able to do more projects and larger projects. And uh, since then, we've raised eight funds. We've raised about $2 billion of capital. Since 2019, we raised just over 1.4 billion of capital. So we've had tremendous growth. We're present in Montreal, obviously our headquarters, Ottawa and Toronto just under 500 employees uh, today. So that's a bit the story about Broccolini today. 
did the third party building phase out as these funds grew or is that still continue to this day? So historically, 50% of our business has been building for third party. So we just completed or we're about to complete the uh, National Bank headquarters in Montreal, which is the largest office development built in Montreal, I think, in over 30 years. How big is it? It's I think it's just over a million feet. I think it's about 1.1 million feet, if I'm not mistaken. So historically, we've been 50-50 third party versus ourselves. The last few years, we've been extremely busy with uh, clients like Amazon on the development side. So we've been almost building like 75, 80% for ourselves and only about 25% for third party. Now with where interest rates are today, I think we're seeing development slow down. And I think uh, our GC side is starting to focus a little bit more on third party work. So we're going to try to get that back probably to 50-50, 60-40 split in the next uh, year or two. How's it working for a family business? It's good. Like anything, there's pros and cons. Working in a family business, I think when I came into the business where the business was versus where it's today, I had tremendous opportunity to learn and grow. That may be my learning curve, I think, was much steeper than it would have been if I wasn't part of a family business. So I'm very, very thankful and appreciative to my uh, my father and uncles for that. We've had a number of different family members come on that for different different lineages, different different departments. And occasionally, some of the younger generations, the word ashamed is not the right word, but want to almost hide their last name because they don't want the special treatment. Do you, ever, do you ever have that feeling? Honestly, I've never had that feeling. I've always been passionate about the business. And I think our team sees the passion that I have for, for the business. Your behavior and actions speak for themselves, I guess is what you're trying to say. Yeah. I, I, I remember being a kid. I think I was 14 going on 15 in the summer and I was begging my parents to allow me to work on the job sites. With the idea that real estate would be the, the vision for your life? Uh, at the time, it was more construction. And then I think... Saw yourself holding a hammer and a saw and that was your that was your outcome? Yeah, I was like a, I was like a laborer. I was cleaning. I was uh, working in industrial buildings. But more of the story, I started on the job sites three days a week. I think I was working Monday to Wednesday. And I'd be up early. I'd be up like at 6, be on the site at 6.45, starting work at 7, 7 to 3. Well, you're 14, 15, you're in high school. Everybody else is having fun in the summer. And I was focused on working on the job site. So that experience, I think. Because you loved it. Not because you, were, you weren't being told to. I wanted it badly. So that was the first summer. Then the following summers up until university, I was working Monday to Friday on the job sites. And then when I got to university, I realized that, you know, school's important. And uh, I had more of an interest on the development side than on the construction side. And when you did go to school, was it, what degree did you go for? I studied finance and accounting. Okay. With the, the idea that you'd be... I yeah, always had an interest on real estate at that point. And how many roles have you held within the organization? Good question. General laborer would have been the first one, right? Then, yeah. I started out as like a real estate coordinator and manager. Uh, then I went on to a VP role overseeing Toronto at that point. I, I think I've been coming to Toronto probably close to 12 years now at this point. So I really took on Toronto as as uh, as something that I was really passionate about, that I saw tremendous opportunity for all the reasons that we know. And uh, we've had lots of success over the last several years. Last question on this, then we'll get to the, the good stuff. But how many family members work in your, in your organization? So I have my father and two uncles as part of the second generation. And then in the third generation, uh, we're five of us. Great. And so family dinners are um, entertaining, to say the least. Yes. Do you ever not talk about real estate? Uh, very rarely. 
any black sheep in the family went out and became a DJ or something like that? Or just can't relate? Not really. No, uh, I have some family in Italy, uh, New York now, but uh, no no black sheep. You mentioned before we hit record, we'll bring up now that a lot of the growth has been been more recent in terms of the funds. And I would say just, you know, I've been in real estate for, for 12 years and I feel like I've seen the name Broccolini more in the last five years than in the first seven years of my career. Maybe it's because I am Toronto based and your presence here is growing, but the projects that your your names are attached to in the last while have been like the kind of big headline item showstopper deals of the last uh, handful of years. Is that a more recent thing or was I just ignorant uh, prior? I think as we've gotten more capital, we've been able to make more and more acquisitions. So I think obviously that's had an impact. We've also been building for arguably the best tenant you would possibly want to have on the industrial side. Uh, I think our relationship with Amazon started in 2018. We built our first building in Ottawa. And since then, I think we've built over 20 projects for them across the different markets that we're in. So maybe uh, that has something to do with it. Was that just luck that they were going to Ottawa? You kind of, you know, had a pretty big presence there and I, I don't think I'd call it luck but we went to Seattle I remember to try to finalize that lease and I remember going to Seattle for the first time and one of the directors came into the room and basically told us like don't mess this up because if you do a good job there'll be plenty more so as soon as we heard that message we never could have imagined obviously the pandemic happening and the growth that occurred but as soon as that happened we went back to our offices in montreal and we gave that spiel to the entire team on the development side the construction side everybody and never in a million years but we have thought that we would have built that many projects in that short of a time and sorry I, maybe i misaligned that luck in the sense was that a purpose-built asset for them or were you building it anyway and they decided to come no uh, we were definitely not building that on spec now Okay. They spent 75 years putting themselves in a position to get lucky. So the Amazon projects, I mean, they're, they're sizable. Like there's some of the biggest industrial projects in the country. I mean, the, like, did you hit the 2 million square feet mark on a couple of them? We've built from uh, about 100,000 square feet to just under 3 million feet. We've built a couple of buildings of just under 3 million feet so far. And are those the, the dark ones with the, the automated everything? Yeah, they're multi-story uh, projects. Uh, they're quite impressive. I think we could do a whole episode just on that. So let's just not go down that cool side of industrial real estate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about your portfolio then. So you, you said you raised 1.4 billion since 2019, over 2 billion in, in the, the full time span. What does your portfolio look like right now? So if we look at the recent funds where we've been deploying the capital, so we're, we're happy that we don't have, a, have much of an office exposure. We don't have any office in any of our recent funds. And if we look at our recent funds, I, we probably invested around 75% of our capital in industrial, probably 60% of that, 70% of that's been in the GTA and the balance in Montreal. And then approximately 25% of that capital has been invested in uh, residential predominantly in the GTA and, and Montreal. Is that a condo? Yes. Any interest in apartments? Yes and no. Yes, but we don't have the bucket of capital that's really long-term focus today for the yields that are required to make multifamily make sense. Tough environment to raise capital right now. Correct. So we're thankful that we raised our capital in the fall of 22. I think that was, uh, our, our timing was pretty good. It wasn't great, but it was better than today, I would say. So when you're trying to deploy this capital in, you know, in, the, in the current market, your projects call it a two-year build cycle. What are you seeing for expected yields then? What are you seeing for rents then? Like, what are you underwriting to uh, when you're staring at uh, a greenfield site today? It's a very good question. Just so again, we raised the money. Uh, we raised just under 450 million last fall. We've only deployed 10 or 12 percent of the capital. We have not bought a single asset in well over a year at this point. Is that just vendor expectations? Vendor expectations, the volatility that we're seeing in the bond market. I think if you look over the last 18 months, the bonds have moved up and down 
down 15 basis points today. That's fantastic. So I think like I've come used to seeing that the volatility is probably here to stay for at least probably for another year or so, I would think, until we start seeing rate cuts and know that the, the, the rates have peaked. But you've seen bonds move up and down 100 basis points a handful of times in the last 18 months. And just based off that, it's impossible to know what anything is worth. And that's been one of the main reasons why we haven't done anything. I think 18 months ago, we were going to be in the ground on a few spec industrial projects and we put the brakes on because you could have signed the best leases possible. You could have signed above market leases and completed the project on budget and your asset could be worth less than what your cost is just based off of where the bonds may or may not have gone. And, I, and today we're very happy that we pumped the brakes on those projects because we'd be underwater on those assets. So when you're looking to assess a, a purchase, obviously looking at, at some level of debt, what is your debt strategy and how does that kind of play out in your IRR calculations? Yeah, so we're IRR focused in our funds. So we're development uh, focused. We're solving for 20% net returns. We're trying to do better than that. Uh, we've had a good track record over 15 years to deliver it on that. Our view on debt is we don't like it today. It's very expensive. What we're doing today on the debt side in terms of strategy is any of our new projects that we're doing. So we're doing a lot of design build projects. We're fixing our rate. We're entering into swaps. So we have an option to lock in a, a rate. And if rates are higher, then we're protected. Our equity is protected. Our cash flow is protected. And if rates are lower, we're even happier. So that's what we're doing on the debt side. So how many active construction sites do you have right now then? Good question. We're probably, uh, company-wide, we're probably around 20 projects. And on the development side, uh, we're probably close to half of that, I imagine. Okay, so pumping the brakes on a handful of projects does not mean that you don't have a lot of activity underway. No, no. Sticking with industrial, what's your theory on um, rents right now? I think rents are going to stabilize. I don't think we're going to see 20, 30, 40% rent growth uh, in the short term. Yeah, we, we, we were hearing the same thing. I mean, we, it depends who you talk to. Some guys are saying, oh, 22, 23, 25 bucks per square foot and for Toronto is coming. And other guys are saying, no, 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 it's going back down to 16, 17, 18. And that's where it's going to stabilize. I think we're going to stabilize around 18 to 20, depending on location for the best assets. I think in the short term, that, I think that's going to be over the next 24 months. After that, I think is anyone's guess. I also think that supply is going to be constrained. I think we're going to see 24, we're going to see vacancies continue to increase. Maybe they'll move up another 100 basis points. But I think after that, I think you're going to see supply really come down. And I think that's going to help, again, put pressure on rents uh, to stabilize. But but even even at 100 100 beeps more vacancy in 18, 20 bucks, right? That's still very viable projects. We just had our investor uh, meeting uh, last week and we gave a presentation and we gave the state of our markets being Montreal and Toronto predominantly. And we were looking at the vacancy rates in Montreal and Toronto compared to some of the North American cities and where rent growths are. They're still two of the best performing markets in North America and arguably the world. Yeah. Well, and that, that, does, that makes perfect sense. If the deals did come along, you know, buyer expectations got in line, where would you be looking to deploy your money if you could just tailor make uh, the right deal? What's the dream purchase? Yeah. It's a good question. Uh, obviously, we're very bullish on industrial, but I think right now the state of the Canadian industrial market is very heavily, the land market at least is very much controlled by some large uh, well-capitalized families that don't have any selling pressures and have owned land for a long time. So that's one that I see as an issue. And second issue is in Canada, our industrial market is very much institutionalized. There's no uh, fire sales that we're seeing. So I think our thesis right now in the short term is, I think there's going to continue to be a large bid ask spread on the industrial side of things on the land basis, which is what we do. We focus on development. But where I see the opportunity, I think, in the next year or two is going to be on the resi side. 
predominantly in the GTA with the immigration that the city has seen, the lack of supply. I think you're seeing uh, multifamily rent growth of close to 20%. And I think that's going to continue to uh, be inflationary for the very, very foreseeable future. So that's my, my, my thesis is Resi Toronto. Yeah. Unfortunately that, that's, that's, I think that's right with the, um, just the affordability getting worse and worse and worse, right? Supply is not going to increase. And as long as immigration continues, the pressure on housing is going to be tremendous. Let's finish off with apartments. I want to go to the storage theory first. So you'd mentioned about an entrance into the storage, um, assets. What's that strategy look like? Cause I, in my mind, or at least my perception is that's a fairly saturated market already and, and a very difficult market to enter. It's, it's compared to the U.S. We're not. We were very underdeveloped. I mean, we've had this conversation before, right? They've, they've got military was taking up a huge amount of usage. They're, they're very transient. Like people move around. There's 40 different places you, you could see yourself living versus in Canada. There might be three, right? Like it's it's a it's a totally different environment and it's heavily operational, right? It, it, people always say it's like a retirement home or a hotel. Like it, you got to you got to understand how to run that business. Correct. So we're not doing it on our own. We brought in a partner who's got storage experience, lots of storage experience, and his entire focus is going to be to build this platform with us. We're bullish on the asset class because we think, as you mentioned, I think the U.S. per capita got about six square feet of storage. In Canada, I think we're hovering around three. So our view is if we look at even Montreal as uh, one of the markets that we're going to be most focused on is Montreal's ratio is under two. I think it's like at 1.6 per capita. So we firmly believe as the population continues to increase and it's going to continue to go to exactly what you said, three, four cities. We think that the supply is not going to keep up with the demographic changes that we're seeing. You could keep going down that housing still unaffordable, not buying big houses with big garages and big basements. We're a very um, consumer-based generation, right? Everybody's just buying stuff. You're on Amazon late at night, just buying stuff. You got a place to put it. You're not putting it in your one bedroom apartment that you share with your you know, your significant other and a kid, right? Like it's, is that kind of the thesis? A hundred percent. And it's basically just dressed up industrial. It gets three times the rents per square foot. Correct. It's, it's easy to build. What, what we like about the asset is that zoning is very difficult to come by. So it's not like industrial where you can just, you, one year you're going to go up Canada building 35 million feet and the following year you'll be 50 million feet. That won't happen with storage because most municipalities don't want it in their municipality. So we think it's going to continue to be supply constrained. And I think immigration as a whole is going to benefit real estate in Canada. I think it's going to lift all asset classes except for maybe office. I think you can make a correlation that housing is going to be super expensive and continue to be super expensive. So if that's the case, then that's going to cause pressure on storage because unit sizes are going to continue to get smaller. Less single family homes are going to get built more condos and, and apartments are going to get built. And if that's going to be the biggest part of our new housing stock. Where's people putting their stuff? Yeah. Well, maybe, you know, but they're not building giant storage facilities underneath those condo towers, right? No, not very sexy. No, it's a terrible use of space. And as long as you third party the management, then you've also third partied the headaches to go along with it. So, so you're in three markets now, any desire to go to any other? We've had a lot of discussions internally about going West had lots of discussions about going south and i think there will be a time for us to have a geographic expansion but i think in the short term in the short to medium term i think we have so much opportunity to line up different buckets of capital today our entire focus has been development and we've neglected other parts of uh, the capital stack on the value add side of things which we think there's a tremendous opportunity uh, today i think one day we want to maybe get into infrastructure one day we want to might do debt we're getting into storage i think once we align with those strategies and execute on them i think at that point we'd be ready to have geographic expansion and at the same time we have so much we're very fortunate 
uh, I tell her, I, t- I tell her in messages this uh, every year, essentially now that Montreal and Toronto, Vancouver are some of the best performing real estate markets in the world, not just in Canada, not just in North America, but in the world. And my point of view is that we have so much more growth potential, specifically here in the GTA. We don't need to necessarily look elsewhere. I think we'd rather get our market share increased further in this market, as an example, before uh, diluting our attention elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, if, if you dominated the GTA, your book would be absolutely massive. So when you run out of opportunities here, other ones. Correct. That's a big move too, right? It's like boots on the ground. We always hear it, you know, in real estate. And so if you don't have that expertise, you got to acquire it. You got to move. You got to takes a lot of. I mean, it's it's. Um, yeah, well, there's just sort of, it's like elbow grease, right? Like you just got to put a lot of time and energy into it before you realize any returns. It took us a long time to build momentum in this market on the industrial side. And we're seeing it now that we're one of the top industrial developers in the GTA. And we still feel like we have lots more room to grow. You talked about looking at condos, you're doing some condo development? Yes. And, per- and partnering, I'm assuming, with, with, with other partners? We've done some with others. And right now, most of our projects right now are on our own. We're actually partners with RealCan in Montreal. Uh, we're going through the entitlement phase right now. Um, we haven't started development uh, construction yet, but most of our projects today are within our funds. And big theme here upcoming throughout the year and, 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 and will in the forward is just the affordability issues we've had with, with you know all these announcements we just had the recent you know fall economic announcement from the federal government about this big housing crisis that they're trying to tackle and the amount of capital that's coming through we need to build more I mean CMC's got 3.5 million new homes need to be built I mean it's not gonna happen there's a lot of narrative around it of course a lot of that is going to be done through apartments not necessarily condos you've done the math how does that look? It doesn't work for us. I think with the GST HFC rebate, we've seen your yield, your development yield increase 50 basis points. It's not enough to move the needle. You need costs to come down. And unfortunately, with all the immigration that we have, I think only 2% of the immigration that we're getting is skilled labor for construction. So there's still a tremendous labor shortage in the construction sector that's going to make it so that construction pricing is not going to fall off 20, 30%. So Land market, I think, is the one variable that we're, I think we're starting to see pressures on the downside. Will it be enough to stimulate proper development yields? Not sure. Anybody who's owned land for 20 years or 10 years, even maybe five to seven years, maybe you can make rentals work because your cost base is so low and rents have increased. But anybody trying to buy land today to build multifamily at where market prices are today, I'm hard pressed to see how that works. I remember being at, um, I can't remember which forum it was. It was probably five or six years ago. And a panelist said that. They go, well, when your land's free, apartment works really well. You're like, well, that's a tough trick to pull off unless you can uh, you know, go back in time 20 years. You're just kidding yourself at that point because if you were to put land at market, maybe you would say, maybe I shouldn't develop this site. Maybe I should sell it to a condo developer. Are you optimistic though that condo prices hold? Yeah. There's a lot of noise that, I mean, obviously and the buyer pools hold. Yeah, yeah that the condo prices are just going to plummet. No, I don't think condo prices are going to plummet. I think it's anyone's guess where pricing will be in 12 months or 18 months for that matter. But I think if you look at a two, three, four year window, I would bet significantly that you're going to see major inflationary pressures on all housing types. As a result of immigration. Yeah, it's a linear thesis. It makes perfect sense. I think we're out of time, Michael. All right. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks to the Real Estate Forums for hosting us here. Thanks to First National for powering the podcast. Reminder to our to our listeners to subscribe, rate, and review if you like what you're hearing. Thanks to our speaker video series sponsors, Daus Vukovic, ML Emporial Properties, and Turner and Townsend. And again, thank you, Michael, for taking the time. Thank you for having me. 
Welcome to the commercial real estate podcast after show where talk about the conversation we just had with Michael Broccolini. One thing that I think we should have jumped into a little more, we kind of just threw out the number 3 million square foot industrial building and moved on. That is staggeringly large. Okay, the biggest one I've ever been in personally might be seven, eight hundred thousand square feet. Like you can't even conceptualize it, right? Like I, while you talk, I'm going to Google how big a football field is just to like do the math. Even when you're in a six or seven hundred, eight hundred thousand square footer, I mean, it you know it feels like it goes off into the horizon. They're large, three million in the Canadian context is is uh, staggeringly large. You can drive by and see a few of them on the highways, and you know, from the exterior, it it's a it's an impressive impressive. Uh, physical structure. It's very cool. And we just kind of just gloss right over like, oh yeah, 3 million. That's normal for Canada. A football field is 57,000 square feet. So a 3 million square foot industrial building is 52 and a half football fields, 52 and a half football fields. Like just stand in, stand in the middle of a football field. Like that's a big space and it's 52 of those. And since there's storage and have high, clear height, it's going to be very high tech. It, it, I would love to get a tour through one of those. As a real estate nerd, that would be, that would be very cool. He didn't want to talk about it very much, which I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised. That's why, we, that's why we glossed over it. Yeah. I, I imagine with uh, an Amazon partnership, you just, even if you don't have any NDAs or anything like that, you just keep your mouth shut. You just don't, don't reference it. Better not to say anything. You don't want to, you don't want to mess with that. Uh, like don't let a gift horse in the mouth, right? Yeah. I mean, the other one that we kind of jumped uh, past was the 1.1 million square feet on the Montreal skyline. I mean, that's going to be a, 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 a prominent new uh, building. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was just a builder. So for a moment, I thought about asking about like lease up and rents and things, but he's, he probably is not really material to him. I'd suspect if he's just the, just the builder on it. Construction schedules where his interest starts, uh, starts ends. But I mean, it's a very cool project. I mean, you know, it's one of those, I imagine those kinds of projects, but the ones that when you're, you know, retired and driving around the city that you live in and uh, you see those kinds of, you know, skyline changing structures, you know, that's the, the legacy you leave behind. It'd be very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I, and I will say, I mean, just from the first time we met him, very down to earth, very easy, very relaxed individual, right? Like, I mean, sometimes you feel like, oh, it's got his name on the building literally, but just a very cool guy. It's funny. I mean, uh, you mentioned, you know, starting, well, my dad is a developer too. Yeah. You didn't say that when I, we were talking about the, the, the Christmas table being really busy. <laughs> yeah, I can relate, I can relate to a lot of it on just a, I guess a smaller scale, but yeah, like my first job was working one of my dad's construction sites as a, you know, general laborer. And, and it's probably, you know, the richest I ever felt because, you know, I'm sure that the, the $9 an hour, whatever it was compared to my friends are making being zero with their jobs. It was, <laughs> I feel very wealthy, but that was like my first exposure to how difficult construction is physically. I can't imagine doing it in my forties now, um, let alone, uh, you do it when you're a teenager. And then, yeah, same thing, you know, I, I come from a real estate family and we're fairly good at compartmentalizing it, but, uh, we definitely do get into a lot of real estate talk, but of course not everybody at the dinner table is, uh, interested in, in real estate. It was relatable from, uh, from background perspective. I think that's it for the after show for, for Michael Broccolini, but, uh, yeah, it was cool. I mean, I mean, we've wanted to have uh, Broccolini on for a while cause they do such a big presence, at least in this part of the country for listeners from outside of, you know, the Ontario Quebec markets, maybe you don't know them, but, uh, they do some really cool projects. Anyways, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First national financial LP, holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.